Hey, Kuya, I got thinking about our last episode. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So I was thinking about how we discussed, like, the needing to be readying ourselves so we can position ourselves to speak up. So as I was doing research and I was raising my consciousness, you know, reading and on any oppression or social injustice, there seems to be a lot of issues needing advocacy. Yes, it can be really (laughs) dizzying at times and quite intimidating trying to pay attention to all these issues. How do you make sense of all of it? Mm, Good question. I think I make sense of it at least by understanding intersections and positions. Intersections and positions. Yes. What do you mean? Intersections (laughs) and positions. Let's talk about that in this third part of our four-episode collection on social justice for this month of February. Hi, I'm Siggy, born and raised in St. Catharines, Ontario, and now living in the nation's capital of Ottawa. And I'm Jezzy, born in Manila, Philippines, raised in Toronto, Canada, and schooled all over southwestern Ontario. You're listening to the Halo Halo podcast, a delicious mix of pop culture and the Filipino-Canadian life. Before we start our podcast, we'd like to acknowledge the lens we're podcasting on. I'm podcasting from the traditional lens of the Huron-Wendat, the Seneca, and most recently, the Mississaugas of the Credit River. And I'm podcasting from the traditional unceded territory of the Algonquin Anishinaabeg people. So Sigs, what do you think I mean by intersectionality and positionality? Well, I know you're not talking about cars and races. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Sorry, you're... that's such a cheap shot. <laughs> no, no, no. Yes, but yeah. it is true. I'm not talking about intersections or positions up the leaderboard or anything like that. I do mean more than just physical intersections. I think what I'm referring to is this idea of intersectionality being applied to social and cultural identity. Oh, uh, applied? Yes. It means recognizing that we all inhabit a number of different multiple identities across many differences. So when we think of our podcast, for example, and what we discuss, which in this case is really about Philippinex folks in the diaspora and their experiences, and more specifically, especially for the Philippinex in Canada, there's that intersection. So the intersection between our Philippinex heritage and our Canadian experience, which go up and make the Philippinex Canadian identity. Ah. You know, one way to think about intersectionality, which for anyone that's interested out there, it arose I am, from, I am. Are you? <laughs> yes. I, I think you might only be the only person out there that could be interested in how intersectionality arose. It <laughs> came from critical race theory being applied to legal studies. And oh. what they had noticed was when they saw changes in law to address discrimination, it didn't really create a lot of sizable changes in oppressed people's lives. And what they had recognized is is that, let's say there was gender discrimination laws at play. Uh It may have helped all the white women, but any of the black women or the people of color, like females Mm -hmm. that come from equity-seeking groups or other racial heritages, didn't actually experience that much gains as compared to their white female counterparts. And so it really Uh. meant that they needed to take into account different ways of being identified. 
So intersectionality really is recognizing that an individual can face multiple oppressions because of how society may socially categorize them because to not do so actually doesn't help people along the way, which is what they had eventually realized in legal studies when they started to apply this idea of critical race theory. Okay, so Kuya, I do understand that people can face multiple oppressions, but why is intersectionality important to consider? That's a really good question. It comes down to three major points. The first okay. point is, is is that intersectionality as an overriding analysis really prevents people from recreating another cultural hierarchy. So sometimes what happens is, yeah, identity politics will sometimes position different equity-seeking groups against each other, and they fight for what they think is a very small piece of the pie. So Mm. you will find one group pitted against another group, pitted against another group, all fighting for a small piece, and then people fighting for the top. But the problem with that is is, is that we end up just recreating another hierarchy of sorts. Like we try to topple all the Lego bricks, but then they get rebuilt up again. And then they get Uh toppled again and they get rebuilt up again. Uh And in some ways, I would say that oppression wants us to do that. In fact, oppression wants all these different equity-seeking groups fighting amongst each other because it really distracts them from actually dismantling the foundation of oppression itself. So (laughs) it's kind of similar to model minority myths. If we're too busy trying to be the perfect minority and we get (laughs) privileges because of that, we end up not being in solidarity with other equity-seeking groups and we could potentially be fighting with them or they could be fighting with us. And then at the end of the day, oppression doesn't get dismantled because we're too busy infighting in a lot of ways. The challenge here is to think how an injury to one is an injury to all. And that's very much a union mantra as well that promotes solidarity. But I would say is quite often people's pain of oppression can sometimes prevent them from acknowledging other people's gain. And I think intersectionality helps us just recognize that actually everyone's in pain. Instead of getting into what I call the oppression Olympics, like my pain is worse (laughs) than your pain. You know, and that's like bullshit at the end of the day. Like even though people's pains are very specific and different, it doesn't make it any less painful. And I also think that a fear that there isn't enough to go around, like what I talked about in terms of that resource pie, Mm -hmm. again, just further perpetuates this idea that There's certain equity-seeking groups that can be at the top and instead of having a flat hierarchy. So I think that that's like the first point that I want to make. I've said a lot there. Uh I don't know if there's anything that you wanted to add in terms of your question. Like, why is it important to consider intersectionality when thinking about social injustice? You're just giving me much more food for thought when you think about that, where it's almost like an infighting, like you're you're highlighting stuff. No, I I just find it interesting. Yeah. Intersectionality, at the end of the day, helps us prevent all this infighting amongst different groups that are being oppressed. The second fact that I want to highlight or the second aspect that I want to highlight about intersectionality Mm -hmm. is this is that it actually reveals one's true social location. So intersectionality not only highlights the multiple ways a person can be oppressed, it Mm -hmm. also requires us to understand the privilege that we have. So 
each individual is a product of their privilege and their oppression. So if I was to think about myself in Canada, I may be oppressed as a gay man of color. So being a gay man and being a person of color, sure, those are two ways that I'm oppressed. But I also have privilege, you know, mm-hmm. and so I I think our listeners know this, that I have four degrees and working on a fifth one. And so, yep. you know, I can truly claim that I've been schooled all over southwestern Ontario. But I also know that that privilege, the way that I speak, the register that I take, the vocabulary that I use gives me and affords me a lot of privilege. And I can't discount that. I have to kind of take those things together. And interestingly enough, when I'm in the Philippines, this is kind of how we apply intersectionality to global locations or global positions. When I'm in the Philippines as a Balakbayan there, I have certainly a lot of privileges over other Filipinos. And so it's really important to locate ourselves, us, to locate ourselves against the privileges and the oppressions that we have, which is why we start off our podcast saying where we were born, how we grew up, and what some of our privileges might be. Uh And what is also good about that is it allows our listeners to figure out how to relate to us, where our position is on what I would call, if you will, our social fabric of life, where some of us might have more oppression or privilege or some more privilege than oppression. Someone else will fall somewhere else on that same social fabric and relate to us differently because of that. We need to kind of keep that in mind when we're trying to make relationships or have relationships with others in terms of solidarity, advocacy, speaking up on all Mm -hmm. these injustices that we've been talking about in these last couple of episodes. Let me, on the second point, ask questions of you. Okay. How might you have been oppressed and then yet have privilege at the same time? Well, I'm male. Mm -hmm. I'm also a person of color. I'm Filipino. A socioeconomic, I think growing up, whatever my parents were very hard workers, a nurse, and my dad worked at GM, and Mm. we were middle class. And I think also that was a bit of a factor. But you brought up a really interesting point, and... The privilege that I wouldn't think just Canada, like, I mean, we were great to live, uh, my parents immigrating to Canada. My mom and dad always said, you have much more privileges and the opportunities that you have here in Canada than your cousins in the Philippines. Right. And it was very much a thing that was preached into me. You know, you are very lucky. You are very lucky that you are able to go to school here. You don't have to worry about mom and dad, like, having so many jobs. They wanted me. I don't think I had, like, an after-school job until, like, maybe I was, like, 16, 17 and stuff. My mom's like, no, I just want you to focus on school. We didn't have those opportunities. And that was really hammered in with me. Like, you are very privileged because of these things. But on the flip side, as of going to a school that was majority Caucasian people, you know, food people of color, whatever, there was some type of oppression, especially with us growing up in the 80s and mm-hmm. how we just like melded along with people just knowing that we're different and, you know, whether it's my name and saying my name or, oh, you don't look like us and stuff. I just, that was the type of oppression I dealt with. But the privilege was not just stemming from socioeconomic. My mom would, dad would always say, you know what, you're very lucky to grow up in Canada. You have opportunities that other people don't, your cousins. Uh, and I always remember hearing that. That's why I sort of like how you just brought it up. Like, yes, you know, where I've been able to go educated. I went to higher learning. And, and even now my mom's like, you're very lucky. You and your wife have good jobs during this pandemic. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I see those privileges. Yeah. Yeah. Like even that idea of access to education, even if you never pursue post 
post-secondary education, the fact that you could have access to it is very different than some other people around the world where they might not have that privilege. Our parents being able to highlight for us that it is a privilege and it's best to take advantage of it if you can or if you have the talent. And all of this, as I said, uh, highlights one's true social location on this social fabric of life Mm -hmm. in terms of where people are located on this social fabric. And what's good about understanding intersectionality is, is, is that it might be that we might be more or less oppressed and that our relationship to others on that social fabric may be seen as contributing to oppression. And so knowing where we are is important, you know, so Uh that we don't recreate some of the injustices out there. I know that I can use my education to my advantage and talk down to somebody, right? Which can be really (laughs) oppressive and intimidating. But do I need to school people? No, I don't need to do that. In fact, I can probably be much more generous to people about that. The other thing to kind of think about in terms of intersectionality and why it's important to consider is it gets us to reflect what social categorizations exist. So Sigs, let's play this game. Okay. So the game is name all the ways that we're different from each other, not just you and me, but with the rest of the world. So how are we different? I don't know. Our secular orientation is different. Yeah, so we're different by sexual orientation. Are we different economically, like socioeconomic-wise? We could be, yeah. We could be. It's a guess. Married, but your marital status is like together with Michael for so long, so that's the same. What else is how we different? But we are Um, indeed common law, right? That's true, yeah. So status, like marriage status, this is how we're different? Um, We are the same in religion. Same in the religion, (laughs) yes. I, I, I'm just trying to think. Even like, can we just like even do like the same thing? Like we're different body weights? Like, yeah, size. So we could be different size, you know? We are different handedness. Glasses. You have glasses. I don't. Oh, that's right. Different different eyesights. Oh, gosh. Immigration. You know, immigration, oh, immigration stories, stories are very different. I was born in Canada. As we said, you were born in, the, in, in Manila. Right. And then raised in you Canada. Know. Again, education, we're different. You went to, like, we both went to higher learning, but you have excelled and you went even to, like, really specific. Graduate um, education. Sp- graduate education. Yeah, that's right. Um, our jobs right now are very different. We're right. both in different types of jobs. You're on keto. I'm not. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's right. So look at us. You know, we're two peas in a pod, but we're also very different. And I do remember a person a long time ago in residence saying, oh, you're just like Ziggy. And I'm like, actually, there's some distinct differences between the two of us. And I'm sure you heard the same thing we, from, from those individuals. There. The only Aside from us being Filipino and having the most amazing personalities, yes. if you look at a picture of us, Jess had this beautiful thick hair. Kuya, well, your, your hair was down to your shoulders, wasn't it? Uh, it was. It was down to my shoulders and you were way like, back when. And he was, my my, my Kuya, Jesse, he looked, when he had said he was part of rowing and stuff, oh, he looked like an athlete to me. Like, just like this compact, like, <laughs> I, I know that you were a coxie, but I was like, no, I thought he was like a rower. And then when I heard the rest I was like, no, um, he looks like this, like, compact guy or whatever, because you look similar to one of the Mustang cheerleaders. Ah, uh, right, uh, right, the, right. The, Ross, I think Navarro was his last name, and he yeah. looked like Filipino guy. But again, you're not the same person. But like, we're not the same person. Nowhere near. Yes, but this whole kind of exercise and just kind of understanding how might we differ in terms of eyesight, in terms of size, in terms mm-hmm. of immigration status, in terms of education. They would consider you a white collar professional. I'm considered a professional professional. Like, oh yeah, all of these different things. You know, yes, that these are differences, but they can also be 
the, their own basis of oppression. So mm-hmm. there is such thing as sizeism. There is such things as disabilities where people could be discriminated against that. People can right. be discriminated on their jobs in terms and their education and their class. Mm-hmm. And the list goes on and on and on. And whatever identity you have at the end of it, you'll either be more or less oppressed than others, depending the, wow. So that's really why it's important to kind of consider intersectionality in any discussion of social justice. It mm. prevents us from recreating cultural hierarchies. It prevents this infighting that you had kind of described earlier. Yeah. It really highlights our true social location on that social fabric of society, as I've kind of described it. And it really gets us to understand what are all these socially constructed categorizations that we seemingly find ourselves part of, whether we want to or not. And again, these social categorizations can be used as a basis of their own oppression in some way. So I don't know if there's anything that you want to else add to kind of why it might be important in terms of considering intersectionality when we talk about social justice issues. No, it just really opens up my eyes. And I just like those points of like where we are, social location and the infighting. I just eye opening. It's really I like those games that you did and those acknowledgments of like, how are we oppressed? What do we have privilege? So, no, this is it's interesting to know, to learn more about. The other question that I think is important to ask, too, is is kind of how does the Filipino community deal with multiple social identities? And my research on this topic has revealed that identities are multiple identities at least are either Mm. diluted or sometimes even over exaggerated. Something that I discovered was is that there are a limited number of ways a Filipino man or woman or trans individual can present themselves or Uh be, you know, so they can either be flaming or very butch like, you know, if you're a gay woman. So for example, and then it really just kind of prescribes people to certain ways instead of being who they really are. And something also in terms of just kind of exaggeration is like believing that all Muslim Filipinos don't ever have any sentiment to build peace in the southern region of the Philippines. And I think that sometimes the response is really to resort to regionalism. It's this idea that it excludes people from having the same qualities that you might share with them. So even if you share with people a certain quality, if if you're identified with another social identity, mm-hmm. that will be used as the basis for excluding you from their region or from their category or social category, if you will. So I, I don't know if there's any observations or things that you want to share with respect to that observation, but that's something to just kind of kind of keep in mind that sometimes our own community, our own Philippinex community can sometimes deal with multiple social identities by excluding people as opposed to including people. I, I just like that you brought up Muslim Filipinos. We always... We never think about, you know, we have it all lumped together that all the Filipinos are Catholic and they're not. And I just, I just thought, oh, that's an interesting example of Muslim Filipinos. I just, uh, that's the thing that just comes off to me. But resort to regionalism, like, yeah, you just bring up good points. I, I don't have anything further. Uh, to, you know to what I want to say about that part about kind yeah. of multiple social identities, right? So this idea that all Muslim Filipinos, for the most part, don't want to have peace in the Philippines. If you were to check your insurance coverage, if we were to travel sometime post-pandemic back to the Philippines, you'll notice that your insurance coverage, your health insurance coverage in the Philippines won't cover the parts of the Philippines where there's a high proportion of Muslim Filipinos. And the reason being 
is this because there's this belief that there is no peace that they want in the Philippines. And I think that that has to that, be kind of challenged in a number of ways. Eh? Whoa, that is interesting observation. Yeah, there's that some interesting. It is interesting and it's sad and uh, it prevents us. It prevents us from actually having more contact with that part of the Philippines. You know, I'm not naive to think that there isn't danger there. There mm-hmm. isn't danger there. And we should be mindful. But at the same time, I think we need to question it. Like, why is that? And so yeah. that, that is an example of an over-exaggeration of how our community can sometimes deal with different competing multiple social identities in terms hmm. of an intersectional identities or analysis. The other thing before we kind of sign off and do our fixing of the week is, is that sometimes it's hard to talk about these multiple social identities in the Philippines. And yeah. a great researcher in Toronto had revealed that the way they exclude people is sometimes by saying things like nosebleed. Oh, that's so much to think about. I'm having a nosebleed. <laughs> so, and that that's a way, again, of excluding people, you know, from the conversation. So... That's something to just think about that, Hmm. especially as a fixing of the week that, you know, groups that are most marginalized are the ones that have a number of intersecting oppressed identities. And I think it's important to give voice to them and place those voices front and center to the injustices that they experience instead of excluding them and relegating them to the margins. So try to centralize those voices is the last thing to say on that topic. So six. Anything to say? Yeah, take us out. I'll take us out. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, and suggestions for future topics of Hollow Hollow Podcast, email us at hollowhollowpopculture at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter, our handles at hollowhollowpop, and on Instagram at hollowhollowpopculture. Finally, we receive editorial feedback from Mary Beth Badian. Our musical theme is by Chel Turingen. We'll see all of you guys again soon. See you guys.